many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand Thank you Dave, very powerful song, also very hard to sing. Got an update from Dan Huh? Chuck, what'd you say? Yes, it is. Beautiful song. I got an update from Dan Starkweather. Dan Starkweather is the nurse that comes in our services occasionally. I retired. That's not good news for the people that need to be in the hospital. Dan was an excellent nurse. I retired. We sold our house in Inglewood and will move to Greenville, Tennessee in a month or so. Cindy, my wife, needs hip replacement surgery, so we will stay at her sister's house down here while she recuperates. Of course, I will still be listening to the messages. Dan is faithful, faithful, faithful when it comes to sermon audio. Cindy needs hip replacement surgery. Let's play, pray for Cindy. Father, thank you for Dan Starkweather. What a tremendous blessing he's been to this church. His wife needs surgery. I've never met her, I don't know her, but she's important to Dan, she's important to you. And so we ask that you protect her as she goes through the surgery. I pray that everything will go smoothly if that's the best thing. But if it's not the best thing, thank you that you do know what the best thing is and you're strong enough to make the best thing happen. Help us, help Dan to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chronological study of the Bible. Solomon has built the temple. He's written his Proverbs. Now he's quoting others. Proverbs 24, verse number 1 is where we're at. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. This is in direct relation to Psalm 73 that Ray read a minute ago. Asaph wrote almost this exact same thing. He made it very long. Uh, the writer of this makes it very short. For their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Why do they do this? Verse 1 is about what we do. Don't envy them. Verse 2, their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Why would they do that? That's the question. They think the reward is worth the risk. They think the reward is worth the risk. What is the reward? Well, maybe it's um, uh, gaining some more money in your pocket. Maybe it's um, uh, achieving a higher level of authority in some way, maybe at work. But they feel like that the end justifies the means, which Machiavelli uh, originated as a very, very popular uh, political theory that as long as good comes out of it, it doesn't matter how you get there. Okay? Verse 1, Be not thou envious of them. Their heart studieth destruction. They don't know it studies destruction. The point of Proverbs, the point of wisdom, is to help us avoid hitting destruction, thinking that it's going to turn out to be good. It never, ever, ever is worth the risk 
to cut corners. Never. Don't waste time experimenting. This is what makes the internet so, so dangerous is it's easy to experiment with anything on the internet. The problem is so many times people get caught up in stuff that they had no idea that it was destruction. Just don't waste time going places that scripture tells us not to go. Verse number three. Through wisdom is a house builded, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all pre precious and pleasant riches. I'm not going to ask you how many of you have a house full of pleasant and precious riches, but uh, if you're wise, this says you will have that, does it not? Or could it be that the precious and pleasant riches are not about stuff at all? Through wisdom is a house building or a family. By understanding, it's established. A strong family. By knowledge, by wisdom, by proverbs, shall the chambers, the rooms, the individual members of the family be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There are people who have a lot of stuff, but their families are totally destroyed because of what they did to get the stuff. Back to verse number one. On the other hand, though, through wisdom, and wisdom is only found in the Word of God. By the way, I discovered something this past week. Without Scripture, okay, setting Scripture to the side, without Scripture, there is no absolute truth. Correct. Without Scripture, there is no absolute truth. Therefore, if you don't believe in the perfection of scripture then anything goes you just have to study it hard enough to find out a way to where it works this is why they say tell your truth tell your truth tell why what you did was okay because of the way that you see it i'm going to give you an example of what i'm talking about in one word in your mind tell me what color a tree is Okay. Some say brown, some say green. You can't say brown and green. So what one word, what one word would wisdom say a tree is colored? <clears throat> Multicolored. Multicolored. There's lots of colors on a tree. Okay. Your truth might be that it's brown. Your truth might be that it's green. You're both wrong. It's multicolored. Back to this. Through wisdom, through knowledge in Scripture, Scripture is the core of it. Any wisdom, any knowledge, any information that contradicts Scripture is wrong and it will fail eventually, no matter what. Evolution is the best example of this. There may be all the evidence in the world of evolution, but I promise you that ultimately it's going to be proven wrong. Yep. Maybe it's while Jesus is reigning on the earth I got a feeling probably it will be when Jesus, Jesus is ruling on the earth, but it's going to be proven scientifically wrong. Why? Because it contradicts the wisdom of Scripture itself, the only place for ultimate truth. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This was written by someone who agrees with Solomon back in Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts, 
she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. Proverbs was not only written by Solomon. Proverbs was written by several people, and this last section, very few of them are named. The last two chapters, we're going to get the name of the person that wrote those two particular chapters, but in this section, we don't know who wrote them. Wisdom stands anyway. It stands the test of time. Uh, we're going to see in our study coming up uh, that wisdom is known of her children. In other words, the things that she produces prove whether or not she's wise or not. She hath sent forth her maiden. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. We said this earlier. You don't have... I don't want to say you. We. I don't have to be simple. Okay? It's okay to be simple. It is not okay to stay simple. It amazes me the number of Christians that I come across that once they're made aware of what Scripture says, they still won't do it. Just, just won't. It's like... <coughs> when Arcadia was landlocked, we... We're desperate. We were trying very hard to get to that. Nine days. All the wisdom said you can't get there. You can't get there. In our simplicity, we decided to try anyway. Two different occasions we decided to try anyway. You know what? Good work. Because wisdom said Arcadia's landlocked. It's not going to work. So as we look at Scripture particularly, why waste time in an effort that Scripture says is not going to work? It's just not. It goes back to verse number 2. We think that the reward is worth the risk. It's ignorant. It's absolutely ignorant to pursue a path where God says, this isn't going to work. Another place, churches do this more than anybody else's debt. Okay, Debt always, always, always is a destructive path. Always. But church after church after church does it. And then they get in trouble eventually because that's what happens. I'm convinced that the devil uses debt to entice churches to get into trouble. It doesn't work. Just don't do it. Come, eat of my bread, she says. Drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. This person in Proverbs chapter 24 agrees with Solomon who agrees with anyone who's ever tried it out. Verse 5. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Brother King, I'm going to use you as an example. Could I get you to stand up? Bring your cane. Turn around and face the audience. Are you steady? Alright, folks, is this verse true? And if so, what does it say about him? 
Thank you. Be seated. There are those that would use this verse to attack someone like him. Say, where? Trust me, there are Christians that will take the Bible and say this one verse and say that verse says he's no good. Get rid of him. If Scripture is not always correct, if it's not always correct, I'm misunderstanding what it's saying. This is not talking about physical strength. It cannot be talking about physical strength. Because even Jesus Himself was weakened after His 40-day fast and being tempted to Satan. It's got nothing to do with physical strength. It's got to do with inward strength, spiritual strength. A wise man is strong. What is strength and wisdom when you're weak? You know what really is happening. Dad does not fear the end of his life at all. He welcomes the end of his life. Only a Christian can do that. Only a Christian can look at death and say, bring it on, I'm ready. Amen. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Why does he increase the strength? Because over the course of time, he has to use those things that he's learned. Problems develop strength. Problems develop strength. It forces us to seek the Lord. It forces us to seek His Word. It forces us to consider the possibility that maybe what it is that we want is not a wise thing after all. And maybe God is using the problem to change us, to make us stronger. That's the beauty of Scripture, is no matter how long you've studied it, there's still more. The foolishness though, is to think I'm never going to get it all, so I'm not going to get any more. So many Christians are just like I was at 30. You know what? I know about sovereign grace. I know about sanctification. Well, not really, but I, I, I know the word. Uh, I know about justification and, uh, well, not really, but I know the word and, um, well, I'm doctrinally sound. I don't need to read my Bible. I, I was raised on it. Raised in church. So many Christians, just like me, they never, ever, ever grow. We should be learning every single day because we're in the Bible every single day. But for years I thought I didn't need it. No one can understand it all anyway, so what's the point? It's a lie. Not the Bible, the lie, the, the, the idea that no one... That, you get that. A wise man is strong, a man of understanding increases knowledge, increases strength. For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war. Just saying war is good? War is necessary. And war does not always include a lot of people. War sometimes is between two individuals with a disagreeing opinion. By wise counsel shalt thou make thy war. Iron sharpens iron, we're going to see later on. Iron sharpens iron. That is two very hard objects rubbing against each other to the point that one of them has to give. Maybe both of them give to a certain point, but once it's done, they are both 
sharper. By wise counsel shalt thy make thy war in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Solomon wrote, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors there is safety. It's not a repeat. It's two different people coming up with the same wise advice. Verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. This is something that we want to be very careful about. No one can understand it all, so why try? Wisdom is too high for a fool basically says it's hopeless, I'm not even going to try. Never, ever, ever allow that. Never allow that. Expose ourselves to truth, which is Scripture, and if I can't understand it, then I study it. If I can't understand it, then I study it. If I can't understand it, I continue studying it. If I can't understand it, then I continue studying it. Now, after all of this study, it may take you until you're 86 years old before you understand it. But I submit to you, God gave us the entire Bible and every bit of it's understandable. Maybe not all of it to one person, but there is not one single word in the Bible that God won't reveal the meaning to. Not one. If there is, why did He give it to us? There's a myriad of information He did not give us because He didn't want us to have it. He actually hid it from us is what Scripture says. It's none of our business. So why did God put this verse in my Bible? That's the question. What does He want me to do as a result of this verse? Or, I could say, that's too hard. It's foolish. Wisdom is too high for a fool. He openeth not his mouth at the gate. In the gate would be like going to church. Okay, In the gate is where the important people of the city met. It's where they hashed out different ideas. He don't have any different ideas. He's sitting there, so he's important somewhat. He's listening. Maybe he's even learning. But he has nothing to add to the conversation. As Christians, we should always have something to add because we've been in God's Word. Being in God's Word, asking, why is this here? What is God saying to me? God will reveal things to you that you can then reveal to somebody else. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. If it's never, ever happened, talk to me later and we'll discuss it. But God wants us to be wise so that we can help other people. That's the point. Help other people avoid problems. They may listen, they may not listen, but at the very least, like God told Ezekiel, they'll at least know there was a prophet among them. A prophet is simply somebody that speaks God's words. It doesn't have to be about the future. Literally, when you quote the Bible, you're speaking God's words, you're acting as a prophet. Okay? Study it. We don't have to sit there and feel ignorant. We don't have to be simple. <laughs> it's okay if that's where I'm at. It's not okay to stay there. Proverbs 14.6 A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that hath understanding. That's what Solomon said about this. Knowledge is easy to him that hath understanding. There are some things that are hard. 
I submit to you there's some things that Solomon didn't understand himself. When we get into Ecclesiastes, we're going to see a lot of things that Solomon did not understand himself. Knowledge is easy. Some of it is. But it's never impossible. Eight. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Well, there's our word of wisdom, isn't it? Whoever thought that might be true? The thought of foolishness is sin. The scorner is an abomination to men. Put these both together, he will lose his reputation. He will lose his reputation. Once you've lost that, you may never get it back, no matter what. Proverbs 10.7 The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. What makes them wicked? In my mind, there's only one thing that makes a person wicked, and that's not seeking Jesus, because that is the thing that will send them to hell. <laughs> What level they don't seek Jesus may be big, it may be quote-unquote small, but not seeking Jesus can make a saved person wicked. Maybe not all the time, but a lot of times saved people do act wickedly. They do things they know that Jesus would not do, but they feel like the reward is worth it. It's never, ever worth it. Just do the thing you're supposed to do, even if it makes you sick on the inside to do it, you know it's the right thing to do, so you just do the thing that you know to do. That's wisdom. Verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I'm going to be honest as I know how to be. This is one of the verses that I was dreading as I was preparing the entire chronological study. There's several passages that I have to deal with eventually because the whole Bible has to come up in the chronological study eventually. This is one of those that I have dreaded because I just don't like it. If thou faint in the day of adversity... If you can't stand up in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I can't speak for anybody but me, but I have literally fainted several times in my life. Many, many more times than that, I've been in a situation to where I was totally overwhelmed. And almost every single day, my emotions get to the point to where I just want to run. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Well, thank you very much. You just called me a weakling. What's the point of insulting somebody? Folks, this is not an insult. How do I know it's not an insult? Because there are no hopeless proverbs. Why put something in the Bible that you can't do anything with? Think about it. Why put that in the Bible if you can't do anything with it? 
It's not an insult. There are no hopeless proverbs. When I don't understand it, study it. I didn't like it for years, but because of the study, I have to study it. What in the world does that mean? What can that do to help Danny? <coughs> Exodus 15.2, The Lord is my strength. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is not the Lord. Now that I can deal with. That's not saying I'm not saved. That's saying I'm not turning to the Lord. That's saying I'm not depending on the Lord. And that makes sense. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare Him a habitation. My Father's God. I will exalt Him. I don't exalt myself because I know I don't have the strength. I know without Him I would fail. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Who is our strength? It's got nothing to do with my personal strength. It has everything to do with who I look to for strength. Psalm 18.2 The Lord is my rock. Without Him I don't have anywhere to stand. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I want you to look at verse 2 in Psalm 18. Okay? And I want you to take every single thing away that talks about you take away your rock, take away your fortress, take away your deliverer, take away your God, take away your strength, uh, take away the buckler, take away the salvation, take away the tower. What's left? Absolute powerlessness. Without the Lord, we are absolutely powerless. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You're not seeking the source of the power. Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Not because I'm not afraid. I'm absolutely afraid. It's natural to be afraid. I've got no reason to because I've got the Lord. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This verse here is so, so powerful. All I've got to do is get real close to Him and let him do whatever he wants to do. You talking about peace, Wednesday night, Ray? This is really the core of peace. Is letting God do what he does. Not fighting him, not resisting it, not being afraid of him. Say, God, whatever you want is fine. Just keep me close so that I'll be caught in the crossfire. But when you're close to God, folks, there's no safer place regardless of what's going on in the world. <coughs> I'm going to ask you a question and I would like for you to consider it over the next week because I don't think we can answer this question just off the top of our head. If it took COVID killing 90% of the world's population, in other words, it was what they said it was going to be, but the 10% that was left would actually, in reality, turn to God. Would you want that, or would you still resist it? Or, would we just sit back and say, I don't want problems. What goes on outside is between them and God. In my Bible reading every day, I'm looking at the fall of Jerusalem. God has warned them over and over and over, and now it's been wiped out. 
in Lamentations is where I'm at. Jeremiah is cried until he has no more tears. And I think to myself, is God justified in that? Yes. Was it helpful to Jerusalem? Yes. Was it necessary? Yes. Did it change things? Oh, yes. <coughs> so if I was Jeremiah, would I see it as a bad thing or a good thing? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That means even if there's nothing else to depend on, even if the Walmart's completely gone, much less power out, even if my house is gone, much less power out. If the benefit is people turning back to the Lord, I pray to God He gives me the strength to go through anything up to and including World War III. I don't want to be so weak that I'm so scared of problems that I will avoid them at any cost, even at the expense of God getting glory in the world. By the way, when Jesus comes to reign the earth, it's going to be very, very, very ugly on this world for about a minute. Oh. Very ugly on this world. But He will then begin to build it into what it was intended to be in the first place. Is that worth it? I pray to God that I won't faint. This is some tough stuff. In most cases, God doesn't call on us as His children to suffer. Particularly in our day and age, we don't really suffer. We get along just fine. We're comfortable. I'm so comfortable at work now that if I get out of the truck more than 30 seconds, I begin to sweat. How weak is it when you sweat after 30 seconds? That's weak. What if there was no more transportation? But God used it to draw the survivors to Himself. I pray to God that I will see what's really going on. I pray to God that I will see COVID and things like COVID, hurricanes. <clears throat> tragic accidents. <coughs> I pray to God He'll help me see what He's doing in it. Because Scripture said He's doing something good in all of it. Romans 8.28, you know that verse very, very well. But so often we look at it like on the end of it, it's going to be good. No, no, the process is good. God works all things. All things. The step-by-step -step process is good. I have to choose to see it. I cannot faint because what does God do in my life? I have to have a strength that carries me through the problem. I pray to God that that will happen. 
I'm not going to ask you if you've done this, but I have. I have prayed to God several times in my life to die. Just please take me, take me now. Because the situation I felt was impossible. Just please take me now. And it wasn't because of the test at school. I mean, this is the real deal. I look back on all of those situations and say, you know what? Each and every one of them made me a little bit stronger. Each and every one of them taught me something different to do. I fainted the day of adversity because I was not turning to the true strength. But the day of adversity did in fact build the strength. Why? Because the Lord is the strength and the Lord is using the difficulty to strengthen me so that when the real thing comes, we'll be able to stand up to it. Psalm 28.7 The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in Him. I am helped. Stop right there. Do not answer. When was the last time that you as an individual, I'm talking to everyone as individuals here, forget your wife, forget your husband. When was the last time you as an individual can say, God helped me. God helped me. We should be able to identify that if the Lord is our strength. God helped me since I am helped. This does not mean that He does what we ask Him to do. It does mean He helped us deal with what it is He said is good. That's what it does mean. How it manifests itself is different in everybody's life. It's very personal between God and the Christian. But there's so many Christians, and I was one for 30 years. God never helped me do anything because I never knew anything about Him. I knew He'd get me to heaven, but heaven was a long way away. Between now and then, i got to make the right moves or the whole thing could cave in. The Lord is my strength. I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song I will praise Him. It doesn't say because the circumstances are gone. It means that God's helping him in the problem. Without the problem, he wouldn't recognize it. He'd have no reason to sing. At Park Ridge, this reminded me of you, Lori. At Park Ridge, there is a lady who's daughter had been in a car wreck. This lady was about 15 miles from the wreck. So she gets in her car. She heads toward the accident. Going as hard as she can, but traffic is just crazy up there any time of the day. She's so frustrated. I, I can't help her if I can't get there. In Claremont, there's a lot of hills, and she crested the top of a hill, and down ahead of her, about a mile, she saw all these lights, and she knew that's my daughter. In the car with her daughter was a baby, not an infant, less than a year. 
They were sitting at a red light. They were rear-ended by a car that was going so fast, it pushed them, which they were now the second car. You've got the offender, you've got her, pushed them into this car, this car into this car, this car into this car, and this car into this car. Total of six vehicles involved. How fast was he going to hit her hard enough? Think pool, billiards. How fast does that ball, how hard does it have to go to move six balls? Hit, impact, forcing an impact, forcing an impact with baby in the car. The only injury in that car, the other five I don't know, the only injury in that car is the baby got a little rub mark and they were in the biggest point of impact. Now, if God didn't help them, you tell me who did. A non-believer would say, wouldn't God have just stopped the accident? I submit to you, God stops accidents all the time, but we don't give him credit because we didn't even know that it was a possibility. God stops hurricanes all the time. We don't give him credit because we don't even know there's a possibility. We give God praise for avoiding the close calls. But what about the really big ones? He kept the whole thing away. Kept it from even being created in the first place. That's the stuff we ought to be praising him about. That's the stuff that's really going on. He really is our strength. We just don't see it because we don't consider possibly he's doing something more than just keeping me from sweating. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you promised you are our strength. You promised that you would provide for us even if we don't acknowledge it. You showed that you love us because you sent your son to the cross to pay for our sins one by one by one because every one of them had to be paid for. You proved who you are. Please help us to recognize what you're doing. Please help us not to look at our own strength and, oh boy, what am I going to do? Help us to just get as close to you as we can and say, please, keep me out of the crossfire. Thank you that you know what you're doing. Thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to have absolute truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.